Hi, I'm Eric Voss, and Game of Thrones might be over, but there are still two books left to read and uh, write, George. But how different will the A Song of Ice and Fire series ending be to the finale of the HBO series? I guess it depends on which of the angry tweets that George R. R. Martin reads. But welcome to Westeros Weekly. As you can see, it's just me here this week, so it might get a little weird. Uh, I guess it's story time with Eric, uh, Ewe's Playhouse. That sounds good. Whatever, you'll see. There's going to be some puppetry going on. And a reminder that actually you can get all of our Game of Thrones coverage on our Westeros Weekly podcast feed. It's going to continue to release good Game of Thrones content about this series uh, that we just watched, book theories, prequel news that'll be coming out so make sure to stay subscribed we got some exciting stuff coming but let us get started today with our big question delivered to us today by our house raven uh you know what you've been so great this season raven so how about we knight you um i dub the uh sir plot twist how does that sound it's the one move that the writers have in their playbook this season. Plot twist. Anyway, the question brought to us by the Notorious PTR asks, how will the books play out differently? That's a great question. I'm sure a lot of people didn't click away from this right now because of that. Let's talk about the alternate endings for characters in the books and actually some alternate endings that have been rumored to have been shot for this show. So George R. R. Martin still has two books to finish in his A Song of Ice and Fire series, The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring. And between the two of them, that will be around 3,000 pages of manuscript. So there's still a lot of Game of Thrones content left for us to devour. Despite statements from Barristan Selmy actor Ian McElhenney that Martin had actually finished the books years ago and secretly kept them under wraps to let the HBO series finish, Martin has actually come out to say that he hasn't begun writing A Dream of Spring yet and won't even um, begin until Winds of Winter has finished. But that is a good sign because it, it means he's actually working on the winds of winter, which a lot of us were worried about. Martin was asked whether the book's ending will be the same, and he responded with what was my favorite quote ever. He goes, well, yes, and no, and yes, and no, and yes, and no, and yes. And uh, for anyone keeping track there, that's four ways the book ending will be the same and three ways it will be different. So is everyone satisfied? Are we done? Great? No? 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 Okay. No, no, no. All right. Let's dig into that. Martin has signaled in the past that the fates of the main characters will be the same. So that means Daenerys will probably still go mad. Jon will still probably kill her in some way and end up venturing north. And Arya will still probably go west of Westeros. And perhaps Bran will still be named King Bran the Broken. But if those fates seemed disappointing to you, I highly encourage you to read the books if you don't already because they contain so much more context and detail that I think will make these end results more satisfying because we'll have longer journeys to go on and uh, more context to see from their points of view so we understand their inner thought processes. For example, A Dance with Dragons leaves Daenerys in a place in which her rise in power was already starting to waver. She didn't really seem like such an epic hero in the books. She's more of a complex figure. As we saw in season 5 and 6 on the show, 
ruling Marine is something that Daenerys never really figures out. And we kind of forget that with the show, but in the books, it's very clear that she isn't the destined ruler that we like to think of her as when we see Amelia Clark's portrayal throughout the series. Also in the books, there's the character Young Griff, aka Aegon VI. He's the son of Rhaegar and Elia Martell, who survived the sack of King's Landing and already has his own plans to marry Daenerys and invade Westeros. Uh, very interesting character to follow there uh, is not on the show they wrote him out of the show he's only in the books so but there's already evidence of a uh, secret Targaryen in, in in the mix for Daenerys just like Jon is on the show and there's already ways that her claim to the Iron Throne will be greatly disrupted in the books and you got to add that to a ton of other political complications that didn't happen in the show like drama in Dorne Dorne was not really a big factor on the show but in the books it's such a big player in that game uh, there's Victarion Greyjoy. In the show, we've only had Euron Greyjoy, who kind of combines elements of Victarion and his book counterpart. But Victarion Greyjoy is, is another big player that complicates Daenerys's journey to the Iron Throne. All of this is going to cause book Daenerys's Westeros campaign to be a lot more complicated. And in my opinion, a far more of a tragic fall for her character, making her less heroic in our eyes and making it seem less out of character for her to torch King's Landing. A lot of people complain with the show, foreshadowing is not character development, uh, even though the plot elements are there. I think in the books, it'll feel a lot more like character development that this is her journey as a tragic hero. Also, in all of Daenerys' chapters, we just got to remember, uh, we, we will see her descent into madness from her point of view. You know, it'll be it'll make a lot more sense when we're able to read her thoughts and understand her inner emotions and her inner world. And I'm guessing it'll make a lot more sense uh, for people who are reading books than just watching Daenerys seem to maybe hate the sound of bells so much that she decides to murder a million people. It, it'll make more sense, I'm feeling. Uh, similarly, there's the question of Jon Snow. So A Dance with Dragons actually leaves Jon dying from stab wounds from the Night's Watch mutineers that we saw at the end of season five. In the end of that book, we don't understand whether he lives or dies. His resurrection was something new on the show. Presumably, Martin still intends to resurrect Jon in the books and reveal him as the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna. Uh, because remember when uh, Dave and Dan asked Martin to adapt the books for HBO way back when, they had to correctly answer who was Jon Snow's real mother. So presumably, this is a reveal that Martin also has in mind for the books. The HBO series never draws firm conclusions about John's resurrection. They kind of move on past it and kind of lightly reference it. Uh, or really the importance of his Targaryen bloodline, or his connection to the prophecy of Azor Ahai slash a prince that was promised. A lot of you guys were annoyed that the show didn't dig into that more, but the books have always given more context about things like prophecy, dark magic, and mythology. Book John experiences a number of dreams and visions that he never experiences on the show. There's actually evidence that John, along with characters like Bran, Arya, the other Stark children, have, war, have a warg-like link to their direwolves. Uh, and the direwolves, of course, are another super fascinating element that the show mostly ignored after the earlier seasons. But in the books, there's a far greater symbolic connection to the main characters. Now, a dream of spring may still arrive in a place in which John has to kill a mad queen Daenerys and then return north. But think about this. Maybe his physical state post-resurrection could be way different in the books. Like in the show, he was just basically Kit Harrington again with a couple scars and a lot of plot armor. But... 
maybe in the books he lives on in a different way like before we knew that Jon Snow would resurrect we thought maybe he would reincarnate or, or embody the body of Ghost his direwolf and he could live on in the body of Ghost and fulfill his destiny as a as a ghost as an undead presence so it, it you know it kind of works two ways there um, that was one theory and his final words in the book were ghost he whispered that uh, and there was like a lot of theories that we all had uh, from the end of, of that book but uh, he could also follow the footsteps of another undead resurrected corpse that only exists in the books Lady Stoneheart that is the corpse of Catelyn Stark uh, she shows up in the Riverlands after the Red Wedding she has a, a gash in her neck from when she was killed at the Red Wedding she has to cover that gash to talk she's resurrected she doesn't say much but she is a terrifying villainous figure she joins the, the Brotherhood without banners uh, she murders a bunch of Freys throughout the Riverlands to get vengeance for the Red Wedding. She becomes a villain to Brienne of Tarth and Podrick. And the last we leave off with those characters, Brienne and Podrick are at the gallows and Catelyn slash Lady Stoneheart has charged them to murder Jaime Lannister or be hanged. We don't really know what uh, Brienne's final word was that she shouts out, but it's assumed that she's willing to go forward with that charge. Similarly, imagine a some, uh, an undead version of Jon Snow, Lord Snow. Like, maybe his throat is still slashed, doesn't talk much, doesn't know nothing. But he could be out for vengeance against the Boltons, the way Lady Stoneheart was against the Freys. So the two families mostly responsible for the Red Wedding, along with the Lannisters, will have vengeance from two undead ravagers <laughs> throughout the northern uh, territories in the Riverlands. That could be a really cool destiny for Jon Snow, especially since he seems like kind of a dim character. He could take on this new undead zombie future, especially since the books don't really have a version of the Night King the way that the show did that was a show creation they have the knight's king which is this kind of prophesied figure but instead the others could be like walking amongst us as opposed to this existential threat and imagine this version of lord snow he could strike back at his night's watch mutineers the way that Jon snow actually did but it would be a lot scarier to see this lord snow version do it he could take back winterfell from the boltons lead a campaign for the throne and end with him having to kill danny and return north that all makes sense and it'd be really fun to read that in the books i know i'm fan fictioning right now but this is a way that they could still arrive at the same endpoint uh but through a completely different journey like whenever you see a, a really villainous protagonist who's less sympathetic it's a lot easier to track them as they're doing crazy stuff as opposed to judging this attractive actor who you've, who you've learned to love and root for in every possible way and the same way that the books could make John a less human figure who still reaches the same endpoint in the show, they could reverse that with Bran and make the three-eyed raven less of a hollow stump and more of an actual person. So, like, crowning him doesn't feel like a dinner for schmucks that votes a schmuck to take over the dinner. In the books, the three-eyed raven is rumored to be Brynden Rivers, the blood raven, a bastard son of King Aegon IV Targaryen, legitimized by Aegon IV, and went, ended up warring with his bastard siblings for the throne in the Blackfire Rebellion, ended up taking the black. Kind of a parallel figure to John, if you think about it but the blood raven would only be around 150 years old not a thousand years that it was he was implied to be in the show he, he's weird but you know he's still a person so the same could happen for bran he could be branch but you know with the ch branched off and back to the closer version of bran that we all know and love and maybe someday a choice for king that actually makes sense because he's still a human and he, he still seems like someone who can have a, a normal conversation with someone and doesn't go off and roll his eyes back and disappear mid-conversation conversation now according to the tv writers there's that question of like alternate endings and there was an alternate ending that was outlined or scripted that john 
had Jorah Mormont joining him and Tormund in their final ride north of the wall in the final scene of the series. Um, perhaps that's something that we'll see in the books as well. Also in the books, remember, Barristan Selmy is still alive, and he goes on to play a way bigger role with Danny in Essos. So I think when you're reading the books, you can expect to read more of that as well. Sources from HBO have said that no alternate endings were filmed, as was previously rumored. You know, there's that idea that they were trying to hide what the real ending was. But there was one fake scene that was shot. It was Cersei meeting with Jon Snow in King's Landing. This was to cover up her death in the destruction of the Red Keep in Episode 5. So they did shoot that, and maybe we'll see that on like Blu-ray or bonus material at some point. I think we can expect the final two books, mostly what I'm most excited about, to further explore the mythology of the White Walkers, known as the Others in the books. They, they renamed them for the show. Their connection to the Children of the Forest, maybe connection to the Three-Eyed Raven. And you know what? Hopefully in the books they'll structure them in a different way, not in that hive structure where killing the central Night King kills them all. It just felt pretty simple and cinematic. I guess it kind of made sense on the show, but to read that in a book, it wouldn't have that same kind of payoff or satisfaction. So hopefully they won't have that kind of central node structure. Martin has also said about his books, if nothing else, the readers will learn what happened to Jane Poole, Lady Stoneheart, Penny and her pig, Skaz Shavepate, Ariane Martell, Darkstar, Victorian Greyjoy, Sir Garland the Gallant, Aegon the Sixth, and a myriad of other characters, both great and small, that the viewers of the show never had a chance to meet. Now, it's interesting that he singles out Jane Poole there. All these characters are fascinating. I'm not going to go into all of them because you'll just have to read the books. But Jane Poole is uh, largely Sansa's storyline from season five. Jane was one of Sansa's Winterfell buddies who went down with her to King's Landing when Ned was made the hand of the king. And uh, after everything went down, she was handed over to Ramsay Bolton by Littlefinger. Littlefinger claimed that she was Arya Stark just to try to um, forge a, an alliance with, with Ramsay Bolton so that he could get a better claim to the North as the Lord of Winterfell. Uh, and the way that Ramsay Bolton married Sansa, he married Jane Poole slash Arya in the books. Uh, and, and Jane suffered many of the same things that Sansa suffered at Winterfell. She was tortured. She eventually escaped Winterfell with Theon, just like Sansa did. So if Jane's story goes on forward the way that uh, Sansa's did in season six and seven, uh, it might mean Sansa's story will play out quite differently in the books and martin was asked which ending would be the real ending between the show and the books and he responded how about this i'll write it you read it then everyone can make up their own mind and argue about it on the internet which i'm sure we will all do uh he, he knows us so well Here's my final note on this, and I'm stepping away from the final season. I'm still kind of processing it and reevaluating it. At the end of the day, I don't really have a problem with Daenerys uh, descending into madness or with Jon killing her or with Bran becoming the king or Tyrion becoming the hand. It all kind of makes sense from an uh, overall outline standpoint. But I, as we all watched it episode by episode, I think those arcs were just really oddly plotted in season seven and eight, and it made those final strokes feel really unearned. But I truly, truly hope that George R. R. Martin has different fates in mind for Jamie and Cersei. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I just cannot rationalize why season eight did the things with them that they did. So if we take Martin insanely literally on his yes, no, yes, no response that I mentioned earlier, I'm thinking the four ways the books will end the same will be in regards to Daenerys, Jon, Bran, and Arya. 
maybe same endpoint, but just hopefully different journey so that they're different people by the time they get to those endpoints. And the three ways that it'll be different, hopefully, will be with Jamie and Cersei, and then maybe a different story for Sansa, and maybe for Brienne, too, since uh, all these other storylines will be changed. Sound good? Let's move on to another question. Hey, Sir Plot Twist, what are you doing down there? Don't ask if you don't want the answer. Oh, I, he's George R. R. Martin now. Okay, so what's the next question? It's Bosh Mahershwa 9 asks, what do you expect from the spin-off series? Oh, get back down there. Yes. Okay, um, yeah, let's talk about the spin-off series, this prequel that's in development. And there's actually, yeah, there's five of them. There's five spin-off projects that started. Uh, one might be going away because Brian Cogman his was shut down and he's going to now work on the Amazon series, the Lord of the Rings um series that they're doing but uh one of those spinoff projects is has started shooting this summer here's what we know about the secretive spinoff george r R. martin has called it the successor show it will be written and produced by jane goldman who wrote x-men first class and the kingsman movies she's a great writer the cast has been announced including naomi watts and a bunch of other relative unknowns who will be stars now on the show it is set thousands of years before the events of game of thrones so we likely won't see any characters we recognize but maybe we'll see the Night King, his origins, learn some more about him, or maybe the Three-Eyed Raven before Bran, the Max von Sydow one, or maybe one of the older ones in that line of succession, assuming it is a succession, and it sounds like it'll be set during the Age of Heroes and the Long Night. So just to remind you about when the Age of Heroes was, this was before the Targaryen invasion of Westeros, before Aegon the Conqueror forged the Iron Throne. It was a time after the First Men made peace with the Children of the Forest, and there were a lot of famous characters roaming Westeros and became these legendary figures. Of course, there's Bran the Builder, founder of House Stark, first king of the north, builder of the wall in the north, and he was rumored to have built lots of other structures. He uh, was rumored to have helped build Storm's End, that castle down in the Stormlands. There was also the figure Lan the Clever, founder founder of House Lannister, who famously uh, tricked the Casterlies out of their family home of Casterly Rock, uh, with lots of apocryphal different stories of tricks that he used, coating himself in butter and sneaking into the, uh, into the castle walls. Uh, and yeah, he He's a weird, fascinating guy that Bronn actually seems to have uh, evoked in this season, saying the founder of your family to Jamie and Tyrion was just as much of a trickster as I'm being. There's also the figure during God's Grief who fought, uh, who founded the precursor to House Baratheon uh, and might have married a god's daughter, according to legend. Garth Greenhands was also the first king of the Reach and the Tyrell forefather. There was the Grey King of the Iron Islands who might have married a mermaid and defeated a sea dragon. What is it about stories that just uh, tend to get crazier and wilder the more millennia that pass. Uh, now, these stories are really like fairy tales, but they're defining myths of the areas and families of Westeros. So whatever things they've made up have informed the personality and the outlook of all these families. So they're important in that way. Now, just a reminder of what the Long Night was. That was the winter that lasted the length of a generation. Uh, according to Old Nan, kings furs in their castles. There were ice spiders. Many of us were looking forward to that, and the show didn't happen. Uh, the White Walkers showed up for the first time were defeated at the Battle for the Dawn by the First Men and the Children of the Forest. They were pushed back up north. That's when Bran the Builder built the wall. The Night's Watch was created. So there was a lot of like dark history there. We'll see if this show will be set there. Hopefully HBO learned its lessons about shooting things at nighttime. Um, really what I'm most excited about this show is it might finally answer the question of the White Walker, uh, the White Walkers and the Night King, uh, the whatever 
mysteries were left mysteries on the show. Hopefully the show will dig into this more because there's still so much uh, mythology there that I, I have questions about. Um, and if it does explore the legend of the last hero, that northern legend, that has a lot of parallels with the legend of Azora High. So maybe we'll get some questions about the prince that was promised and the Azora High prophecy. Um, and uh, quickly about the other successor shows in development, they're all set before the events of Game of Thrones. So we're not really going to, and it sounds like we're not going to cover Robert's Rebellion or the Adventures of Duncan Egg because George R. R. Martin is still kind of writing those um, spinoff books. He doesn't want to compete with the show again, which makes sense. He has hinted that one of these shows will be based on Fire and Blood that tells the story of the Targaryen invasion, the forming of the Iron Throne. There's a lot of dragons there, so it'll depend on what kind of budget that has because uh, I have a feeling that they're not going to want to spend so much money on uh, dragons again. Now, uh, we're going to answer more of your questions in uh, for Game of Thrones Season 8 and reveal the overall season power rankings. But first, we want to thank our sponsors who helped bring Westeros Weekly to you. Our first sponsor is HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so that you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. They have really delicious and simple recipes. They do all the meal planning and shopping and prepping for you so that you can just focus Focus on being a healthier you. There are three plans to choose from. There's a classic, the veggie, and family with uh, the option to switch if you end up changing your mind. You can spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping so you can spend more time doing what you love. Like, you know, debating the merits of season eight and Game of Thrones with literally every person in your life. It's just me. Just me. Probably not. HelloFresh has simplified my dinner time, and the food is awesome. Uh, I tried a pulled pork fiesta bowl and a cherry balsamic chicken. Those were my favorites. I love those. It's become, hands down, my favorite meal kit delivery service. So for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Rockstars80 and enter promo code Rockstars80. Uh, it's like receiving eight meals free, folks. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash Rockstars80 and enter promo code Rockstars80 for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh meal delivery kits. Our final sponsor this week is Away Travel. They're a design company that makes the world's coolest suitcases. They're made of uh, poly- polycarbonate material that's strong and super light, perfect for sailing west of Westeros with a real low-profile ship with a giant wolf head carved into the front. Uh, here's what it looks like. Uh, this is their everywhere bag, which is great for small trips and you know even just your day-to-day life. Some of their other models even come with a built-in battery to charge your electronic accessories. You can get your own cool Away Away luggage at awaytravel.com slash rockstars20 and use promo code rockstars20 for $20 off your order. Again, that's awaytravel.com slash rockstars20 and use promo code rockstars20 for $20 off. Great. So let's move on to another question. Hey, Sir Plot Twist, how's it going down there? It's awfully hot. Uh, but here's another question. It's uh, uh, Sugar in Spikes asks, was John or Arya Azor high? Uh, yeah, that's a question a lot of us have asked about. Okay, so a quick backstory. The prince that was promised, of course, is the figure that the Red Priestesses are all obsessed with. He or she is supposed to be Azor Ahai reborn and save the world from darkness. At various points in the series, Stannis Baratheon, Daenerys, Jon, Arya, they were all considered front runners to be Azor Ahai reborn, though none of them matched up exactly with all the points of the prophecy laid out in the books, depending on how metaphorical you wanted to be in the interpretations of their life events. Before these final seasons, Daenerys definitely seemed like the front runner. Melisandre implied that she would be the princess who was promised. 
Daenerys was a descendant of the Mad King and Rhaella, as the Ghost of Highheart in the books predicted the prince that was promised would be. She was born beneath a bleeding star. If you consider her birth being her rebirth, uh, when her dragons were born, uh, that was the Red Comet was overhead her over, overhead when that happened. Uh, she was born amidst salt and smoke, uh, smoke from the funeral pyre and salt from her tears and the tears of Miri Mazdur when she was burned alive. She awakened dragons from stone. She acquired a metaphorical flaming sword in the form of her dragons by sacrificing her Nissanissa lover figure called Drogo because only death could pay for life. So they were connected. But with Daenerys' villainous turn in season eight, all that speculation kind of went out the window faster than Tommen did. In the Battle of Winterfell, Arya proved to be really the champion of the Lord of Light on the show. She struck the fatal blow against the Night King after motivation from Beric Dondarrion and Melisandre. There was lots of Lord of Light imagery in that episode. But, you know, champion status doesn't make her the prince that was promised or princess that was promised exactly. Really, Jon saved the world from a different kind of darkness from Daenerys. And while that prophecy points didn't all line up perfectly, they were kind of present in, a, in another metaphorical sense in that scene. Daenerys is Jon's Nissa Nissa sacrifice figure. Flaming swords were present in the melting of the Iron Throne. Really, based on all the Lord of Light symbolism in the Battle of Winterfell, Arya seems to be that the sh- seems to be the show's pick for the princess that was promised. But based on this, you know, uh, metaphorical interpretation of from the book details, Jon seems like more of the epic hero of the show overall. But I think we should remember that these prophecies are background to motivate some characters. They are not a core mystery that the show and the books were aiming to solve. The Legend of Azor Ahai parallels the northern myth of the last hero, parallels other myths from Essos, just like in our real-world mythology, every religion has its version of Noah's Ark story and a worldwide flood. Uh, so by having these parallel myths in the world of Westeros, George R. R. Martin is really showing us that myths themselves are powerful, but they are not blueprints for how everything will exactly go. Um, Let's move on to another question from Sir Plot Twist. Hello, uh, at Maple Chiefs asks, is Bran going to live forever and never give up the throne? Ooh, I hope not, uh, because, man, how many generations are going to get used to a tree as their king? Bran meets uh, the Three-Eyed Raven in season six, and he says that, the Three-Eyed Raven says that he's waited a thousand years for Bran, uh, and who then becomes the Three-Eyed Raven, right? Bran is the Three-Eyed Raven now. Does that mean Bran is going to live for a thousand years and basically be a forever king? Well, the Three-Eyed Raven has said that he's been there for a thousand years, but that doesn't mean in that body. Remember, the Three-Eyed Raven is like a title passed on from person to person. So maybe that's what he's referring to. The whole idea of the Three-Eyed Raven uh, existed back in the time of the Children of the Forest, but Max von Sydow wasn't sitting there. There was even a different actor playing him on the show. And uh, But uh, whatever, it's a recasting. In the books, it's actually hinted that uh, Brynden Bloodraven Rivers, I mentioned him earlier, he's a bastard of King Aegon IV. Uh, he's a real guy, and he would have only been 150 years old rather than 1,000. Uh, again, the show went in a different place. The Three-Eyed Raven was living in the roots of the Weirwood Tree, which might have helped him live longer than usual, as opposed to you know a mobile southern Bran who only has the personality of the tree and isn't really sitting there amongst the roots of it. Hopefully Tyrion was right and Bran will just be a wise ruler and not a forever king. But if he does live longer than usual, that actually might be a good thing to have a period of peace and stability, uh, considering you know he's uh, the southern Stark king might allow for a longer alliance with the north rather than another war between these kingdoms. Let's move on to another question from Sir Plot Twist. At Pipple Hot U95 asks, what's the punchline of Tyrion's joke? 
Ah, uh, yes, we know this joke. That was, uh, I once brought a jackass and honeycomb into a brothel. Uh, and then he always gets cut off. He brought it up in season one during his confession before Catelyn Stark and Liza Aaron in the in the veil. And he brought it up again in season six and making a little schmow talk with Grey Worm and Masande and Reen. And then his final words in season eight were him once again setting up this joke to the small council. If you go watch the breakdown or listen to the breakdown that I did of the finale episode, I presented what I think is the best uh, possibility for that theory go check it out i'm not gonna repeat it here you gotta go watch that for it i didn't come up with it uh, i found it online and i think it's brilliant but you gotta go watch that to find out let's move on to our power rankings so after each episode this season we asked you to decide who won the episode by voting in our online power rankings each week we would compile all the votes and then list the top three characters and now we went back through some of uh, you know our exhaustive excel spreadsheet work and we compiled all the votes for the whole season and did an overall season eight power rankings the results are pretty interesting so in fifth place with 8.4 percent is bran bran the broken uh now king of the six kingdoms uh which yeah if you consider him the overall winner of the game of thrones yes uh it's it's hard to deny his power at the end of the series in fourth place uh cersei lannister uh despite her i would say let down her defeat in episode five and despite spending most of the season uh, sitting on balconies and sipping wine despite being the master tactician that she was in previous seasons she did score some major victories uh and in a way brought down daenerys with her uh if you if you look at it that way speaking of whom in third place uh with 10.8 percent of the vote daenerys targaryen uh considered most powerful yeah she did in a way get what she wanted the but maybe the short-term goal of what she wanted not the long-term goal of what she wanted and had some great victory moments uh but unfortunately in order to score those victories had to follow in the history of her her father the mad king uh and make some choices that that you know, really alienated a lot of people. Uh, in second place, with 13.2% of the vote, Sansa Stark. Uh, Sansa Stark would be my pick for for winner of this series, um, or at least she'd be in my top three, because, yeah, she gets the, the title of monarch that really I think most people want. You don't have to worry about the warring factions of Westeros if you're just Queen of the North. I can't say Queen of the North anymore because I've only ever said Queen Queen or King of the North. But yeah, she gets to just rule her homeland. And what's better than that? Uh, I think that finale montage definitely presented her to be the most victorious character. Uh, aside from the far by and large the first place voter of our uh, vote of our power rankings with 31.7% Arya Stark uh, yeah she got what she wanted to by going west of Westeros and yeah she was super victorious by killing the Night King being the champion of the Lord of Light in that moment and being this interesting point of view character throughout the destruction of King's Landing uh she was a victorious character I I didn't really see her character change over the course of this uh season but yeah you could say she definitely scored a great victory and she was really fun to watch now for those wondering why wasn't John in the top five I agree I think he definitely deserves to be in the top five he was sixth he placed just ahead of the Hound and Tyrion two characters who I think were super powerful as well uh, but yeah I think with a lot of people John didn't really have 
earned power moments other than his saving the realm from the madness of Queen Daenerys. Uh, and really, that was something he had to be pressured to do by several characters because a lot of his lines throughout this season were, she's my queen, I don't want it. She's my queen, I don't want it. So it, it might have felt more powerful if this is something that John arrived at on his own, despite how hard it must have been for him to do that in that moment. Uh, and just a little factoid here. Someone voted for Podrick in every episode. There was one vote for Podrick. Podrick, we know who, we know it was you. Or you know, one of those women he hooked up with. But hey, uh, Podrick definitely had a victorious season as well. He was knighted. What's better than that? Well, that's enough for this Westeros Weekly. I want to thank you all for watching and listening. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Westeros Weekly podcast. we still got more stuff coming out. And be sure to follow our new MCU podcast, Inside Marvel. Got some great Marvel-related stuff happening there. You can follow us on Twitter, at New Rockstars. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, at EA Voss. Thank you all for joining me. And thank you for joining me, Sir Plot Twist. Thank you for having me. And will my name stay the same in future episodes? Probably not, Sir Plot Twist. Uh, it's probably not canon because this has only happened because this is Ewe's Playhouse and lots of weird things happen now. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're listening on podcasts, be sure to watch the video version of this because we have little Easter eggs hidden all over our set. Hope you found them all. Bye. Bye.